Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm Scott Babcock. I'm here with your co-host, Daniel Mendoza. Daniel, it is August. We are officially across the threshold into the month of August. Summer, unfortunately, means it's coming slowly to an end. But how are you feeling right now? I don't know. When you said threshold, I started to think about the Loki uh, season finale. I know we just talked about Loki this morning, but I uh, started thinking about Loki season finale. We are across the threshold here in August, but also there into the multiverse. So, you know, Marvel fun fact of the day. Fun times. It's all coming together. So, uh, yeah, August. My kids start school tomorrow, which seems a little weird. Um, I know across various parts of the country, uh, schools start at different times. But, yeah, first day of school for my kids tomorrow, which is uh, going to be fun. All right. We thought we'd do something, speaking of fun, a little different today. Uh, we thought we'd present you with three different case studies of things that we think you might actually run across uh, when working with clients or business partners. Um, and while we realize we won't hit the nail exactly on the head, we wanted to give you a few concepts that hopefully you can sort of see a path to your own reality, multiverse, uh, if you will, uh, what might take place for you. And how you might apply some things. And we want to give you some concepts of, A, what approach should you take when trying to figure out a solution for that problem? And then perhaps uh, present you with a couple of things that uh, we've done uh, in our past uh, experiences with some of our clients. Just kind of give you an insight into what Daniel and I do on a day-to-day basis when we're not recording a podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into our case studies. All right, let's kick it off with our first case study. Now, uh, this, indivi- this individual retailer uh, we're going to go with is a, or a retailer as an organization as a retailer that is wanting to create a learning. So you're, you're approached with the concept from a team that they want to create new learning experience uh, for, their, for their audience and specifically for a, a segment of their audience, let's say. They want to go to a specific department. Um, and realistically, the sort of the the reason they're coming to it is they don't feel like their current content is exciting, it's not engaging, or the feedback they're getting maybe isn't as positive as they'd like it to be. And they want to try to kind of add a little something, a little spice to their content to get users more excited, more engaged, more involved, uh, and sort of give themselves a bit of a brand uh, makeover. Um, Daniel, when you if someone comes to you right now, um, and I'm sure they have, Mm-hmm. with a similar scenario how do you start that process the first the first question we have to ask and you know we're going to go down the path of understanding the objectives of the the in virtual environment or, or the learning experience which they're they're looking to create um, for the user is are the goals and objectives of what they're trying to produce different than um, or a subsection of their overall learning development goals so if they're trying to, um, if they're trying to, I guess, work towards their same common goal, then there's some questions we can ask around just, you know, enhancing overall uh, engagement within their content types or other things. But in this case, I'm going to say that because it's for a specific department, they have some sort of initiative, they have some sort of time of year um, that they're promoting and looking to educate a certain group of products on. Maybe it's Let's think of some stuff. Maybe it's, you know, baseball season is is around the corner and and we're dick sporting goods and we're we got all our baseball new new bats, new gloves, new whatever technology that's coming in. 
maybe the Apple launch is coming up and it's around uh, the cell phone manufacturers. Think about from a retail perspective, those sorts of kind of spikes. So you want to ask the objective is what, what's the goal and objective? And, and in this case, it's to get a department excited about selling a certain brand of products or a certain group of products or a certain type of products for that type um, of time. And, and once you understand that the goal is to get them excited, that means that you then need to take another step further is, is identify who are all the stakeholders in the process. So whether it's the learning development department, the human resource department, because there's some HR focuses around it, um, the marketing department, the product department, or maybe you have third-party vendors who are involved as well. Like I, in my Dick Sporting Goods um, analogy, you have all the different baseball companies that are going to be relevant. So once you then kind of ask the questions around stakeholders, you can start to kind of walk into the next process. Uh, Scott, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously objective is the, the key word there. We talk about it a lot. Um, we, re we recognize that that's going to always be sort of your, your launching point. What's the behavior you're trying to change? What, what do we think is maybe ex an experience that's maybe fallen flat in the past? How do we address that? Um, and then ultimately, like, what do we want people to do coming out of the training? Um, I, I love conversations like this because it's about building energy, but I think there, you have to have, draw that fine line of there's something to set, to be said of for making something more fun, um, but not too fun, right? It isn't just a game. So when we talk about a lot of times people want to do something exciting or entertaining, but if it doesn't, isn't rooted in like that objective conversation, it, it doesn't have the value you're really hoping for or likely won't have the payoff that you really need. So I think that conversation is a really important thing to make sure it's fun, but within the bounds of actually being productive. Because um, otherwise you can really lose control uh, of what you're trying to accomplish in the name of high visuals and crazy interactives and um, just making people smile as opposed to making them learn. Um, and that that would be the one thing, I guess, I'd, as you're having that conversation, make sure you're reining it in a little bit just to make sure you're on point. Um, we, I think we both are thinking of some really good examples of things we've been able to do in the past that probably need something similar to this. Um, do you have an example of how we've constructed then? So we've, we've realized those objectives. We know what they're trying to accomplish. Like what are some, what are sort of those next steps to start to really bring it to life and, and, you know, whether it's a real example or just, you know, something based on a real example that we've done. Um, wh where do you think you've resonated with some of the more fun things we've been able to do? Yeah. So when you go through the process of, of who is your learner, um, you know, who are the people who are, are training them uh, and kind of figure out that side of things, who's learning, who's delivering the learning. Um, you can then start to talk about modality and I'm going to speak, um, in terms of some examples that we've created where, because like we, we talked about this before, content management systems, learning management systems, learning experience platforms, they all deliver training differently. So in these sorts of thing, things, you have the great opportunity to create an experience or an environment that is blended in and attached to your learning platform, but also different and accessible to others. So they don't feel like they're just going back into the environment for another uh, learning platform. So think about, let's get, let's get a little crazy. So I'm going to create the scenario and I, I'll stick with baseball. Um, so Scott, anytime I step out of line and just my facts are completely wrong. Um, I'll rein you back in. Right. 
So you have your, your LMS, you have some different ways you can market there. You can create outside of your LMS, create a landing page or a website of some kind um, that is going to represent what is a baseball diamond. And when you talk about a catcher um, and their equipment, you could have a little section that's at home plate. And when you talk about you know the special gloves or or spikes or other gear that goes around with the pitcher and different brands you may have that at at the pitching mound and so on and so forth so you can create that environment and hopefully i'm painting a good picture overall you can create that environment where they can come into a baseball diamond type environment a virtual space and they can go to each section and kind of become a ambassador or become a pro in that segment of um the baseball gear, the baseball section, and you can kind of mirror that to how it's also laid out in your store. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're thinking about the way you group your content together, I, I mean, we talk a little bit internally around things like campaigns or missions, or um, it, it, it's another way of like grouping things in, the, in a similarity to like a curriculum. And the same thing, what Daniel's mm-hmm. talking about with these virtual environments, it's just how do you take a series of topics or series of content, group them together and then visually make it something that feels a bit more um, involved or engaged or different than just a list of stuff I have to take. Uh, The concept in the back end is really not any different, but on the front end, you can present that in a way that puts the user in something that's a bit more gamified um, and it feels a bit different. Uh, and realistically, then you you can have, yeah, all of your training around bats could be over in the batting cage to keep with Daniel's analogy. Um, your, cleat sto- uh, your cleats and um, helmets and things could be over in the equipment manager's office, right? And uh, on the field, it's more like training materials and exercise equipment and skills uh, technology that might be out there. And you put all that in the sections and realistically, then you put the user on a journey that they need to go visit the equipment manager and understand the equipment they're going to go out on the field with. Then they need to go through and get trained up and uh, they're going to do that on the field with, uh, you know, whether it's calisthenics or running exercises or weightlifting or agility uh, drills, whatever that might be. And then they need to work on their batting. So they would move over and, and learn about the batting equipment in the cage. And it can be very sequential and it feels like you're just moving around the park to all the different areas. And we've done this in a number of formats. Um, this is actually a great way. I was thinking of an example um, that I really like to do even onboarding, right? So as a new employee coming into the into your new company, there's a lot. Like it's it's drinking from a fire hose a lot of the time, right? There's just so much information you have to take on about what's the culture, what's the process, how do I clock in, what should I be wearing, who do I approach, where do I get trained, who's my leader, who are my peers, um, what are the different departments? Again, it's just this flood of information. But if you sort of take it step by step and put that user into sort of a new onboarding environment, which could be very fun and interactive, one, it I think it decreases some of the stress in their world. Like, oh my gosh, okay, I can do this. It's it's this is going to be a good experience, not just inundation with things where they get fatigued. But then also, like, you can walk them step by step through a progression of information that really gets them in a prepared mode. So, um, I, again, it, it is about having fun, taking some of that stress out, but you can really deliver a sequential message that builds on each progressive course uh, and makes the user feel like they're sort of navigating their own story. Yeah, I'll just add to that a little bit. You know, one thing to consider in these situations is typically, I mean, onboarding is a great example. And um, in this moment, I, w- I just want to take a moment to call out. I wouldn't be a sales guy if I didn't. Um, 
I, I want to call it as we've used custom applications. Um, we've used our authoring tool internally to do sorts of things like this. We've done just websites, you know, microsites like this, but we've also used our Terra platform more recently and our events platform. So we think about events as conferences or trade shows and the way events platforms are being used, but you can actually use a virtual event platform. Maybe you have one already, maybe you need one, but that can actually create that virtual experience that links in, ties in with all your users, single sign on all of that thing um, to go and allow people to experience something different. And the reason why I keep saying experience something different is in most cases that are brought to us like this, they're voluntary things. They're not required. I know in, in this case, onboarding would typically be more of a required system, but they're voluntary and they're encouraging people to go do something to enhance them in their role rather than require them to go do it. So, you know, that carrot versus stick analogy and creating a different environment that's not logging into your LMS, going into the learning paths or the career paths or the journeys or the curriculum section of the LMS and taking another curriculum on baseball gear. Um, this gives them more of a reason to go back and in some ways compete if you add the gamification factors, compete with their peers um, and be successful to, to retain that information which you're trying to get across. All right, Scott, that was a good way to wrap up some virtual environment, virtual path fun with case uh, number one. Let's hop into case number two. So in the LMS learning, in the learning space, there is, you know, training your own employees and there are training extended employees, your organizations, maybe they're distributors, maybe they're dealers, maybe they're sales associates of um, retailers that you sell your product into, maybe they're employees of your partner organization. So employees that aren't your own. So when you're training external users, obviously you don't pay for their labor, so you can't require them to do anything. How can you, in, in this scenario where you have to train these external employees, you know, how would you set up training and how would you set up learning? Yeah, I think this is an area where we spend a lot of time in terms of what we call an extended LMS or an extended enterprise LMS, where you're trying to train folks that you don't necessarily have authority or um, control over how they interact. And I think the first, I guess, narrative that we typically try to talk through with that, uh, that partner or that client is it's all about changing the, the perspective of your content from a, I have to train, uh, which is what a lot of learners experience from uh, whether it's school or it's their own organizations, things like that, or even maybe it's their own professional growth. They feel like they have to do training to getting them to want to do training. Um, which is, again, we talk a lot about like learning culture and, and we even hinted at it, the idea of virtual events of trying to be more engaging or more fun with our content. Um, and that ultimately, that's a big part of it. it. It ends up being a lot of marketing. It's trying to encourage people to get excited about coming into your platform uh, and complete content that ultimately helps your business and hopefully helps them do their job better um, and whatever their relationship is with you. Um, and so I think you have to approach it with the concept of, uh, it can't just be lists and lists of content in a catalog that we hope they find their way through, but rather, how do we encourage them to navigate it in a way that will be beneficial to them? So um, this can be things like uh, incentivizing certain content or incentivizing certain orders. Um, it could be setting up virtual environments like we talked about with our first case study. Um, but really, you're trying to instill that that sense of um, energy into your platform that people feel like, oh, I need to keep going back there because I might miss something. I might miss out on an opportunity to get recognized, get incentives, 
uh, become part of a program. Um, and truthfully, if I'm if I'm starting with the ground level on this, uh, this is all about gamification for me. Ultimately, when I'm having the conversation, is how do we incentivize through ranks, badges, rewards, leaderboards that drive a sense of competition uh, that encourages people to come back frequently to earn those points or stay competitive with their peers. I love the concept of gamification. I love the concept of competition. I think, uh, I think Scott here um, had on, I know that um, extended enterprise, like you mentioned, B2C type platforms. Um, we have actually have a customer right now who we're working with, who is really interested in creating a, the same sort of competitive environment for their consumers as well. So, um, and, and a lot of times the, with these platforms, the incentivization is a discount off of their product. Um, and their, their whole thing is, well, we should incentivize our consumers to learn and compete with each other and get discounts off of our product. Because if they're more educated on our product, then they're probably going to return it less, um, which is a huge part of it, which we won't hop into. But I think gamification and competition is so, so large in this space. Um, we talk about the what's in it for me um, conversation all the time. And one thing that we can speak very confidently out from the data that we have is that um, if you give a reason for users to earn points, be on a leaderboard, uh, get some badges, get some rank, it's no different than playing video games, it's no different than playing you know, mobile games on your phone. Um, you're able to take that recommended type of training and put it to the forefront of the platform and allow people to really engage with each other, interact and, and compete. And you can start to build a community of ambassadors for your product because now the people who are at the front lines of your brand are, um, you know, in touch on a daily basis with your brand. Yeah, this is, um, I, th I think sometimes we, we talk about incentives, we talk about prizes, we talk about the gamification of a site and that, that always causes people to get, um, nervous. I think when we talk with our clients that, oh, budget's going to go through the roof or I've got to like be in, insane with getting people uh, product or discounts or whatever. And while those things are great and they definitely help and they, you know, we have quite a few case uh, studies and benchmarking that we can go back and show exactly how those prize programs drive completion. So we know they work, but even beyond that, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, you can just offer digital points that don't mean anything and people will go to the ends of the earth to get those things. And if you don't believe us, don't look at the learning industry. Uh, look at how you shop. And the reality is, um, I, you know, locally here, like we go to Starbucks to earn stars, right? I think on our app. Mm -hmm. I forget I have them half the time, but I still make the choice to go to there because I know I get stars. And I forget to redeem them or whatever. And sometimes they expire. And I'm just using that as one example. But um, we go to the ends of the earth to earn points that maybe never accumulate into a financial gain. The same is true on an LMS. People will climb a leaderboard never knowing if the leaderboard is going to necessarily have any financial payout. They just want the competition. It naturally drives a lot of us, especially if you're someone in the sales industry. That just seems to always be a very competitive market. Um, these are folks that are driven by the fuel of competing with each other and, and, and having some of that fun. Um and so even before you start thinking about, should we do giveaways or do we need to do sweepstakes? Should we have a shop, auctions, any of those other things that we have done and implemented in, a, in our platforms that also drive additional completions, just offering points, offering those digital badges, little collectible digital content. 
Um, you mentioned mobile games, and I, I play one um, on my phone that's uh, just one of those games. Every day I log in and they give me some little digital trinket to add to my uh, keyboard so that I could text it. I've never used them, not once, but I will log in every day just to get the freebie because I know if I miss today, it's gone uh, and I can't go back and get it. So um, ridiculous as it is, it doesn't have any monetary value. And I'm not even paying to use that platform, but I just go back. The same methodology and reasoning applies near LMS that if you give folks sort of that uh, do it now or come in on a daily basis, or you might miss out on this thing, like the human nature is just going to drive folks in. Uh, you can really utilize that as a way to drive your platforms uh, in, in a meaningful way. And again, we've done that with our uh, LMS atmosphere over and over and over again with a lot of our clients where um, just having leaderboards, just having the ability to rank up, just having the ability to get badges uh, and earn those points is a huge incentive. Then you add on top of any uh, layer as you, as you start to get productivity and growth to be able to do things like auctions and sweepstakes and spin to wins and uh, shop type programs that uh, just continue to increase that engagement. All right, gamification and competition uh, in learning platforms is something that always gets me excited, Scott, and we're not gonna slow down now with this scenario. So we've talked a lot about ILTs and VILTs recently. So I'm gonna lay the land out for you, Scott, and, and let me know what, what your thoughts are. I have a event, a conference, an ILT, any gathering of individuals, a breakout together. And, and I got some dry, I got some dry content. I got some content that needs to be delivered, but it's boring. And I know that every time I run this content session, I tend to lose the audience a little bit by the end. So how can I make that breakout of that ILT a little spicy? to get people excited, engaged, and enjoying the information, which I want to talk about. Uh, yeah, well, let's start with the fact that uh, this is probably a conversation that is happening in learning rooms all over the country, all over the world right now, where we have a lot of folks that are probably evaluating their content um, solely on the purpose of they've always historically maybe done it in person. And now they're having to think about how does that translate to maybe a virtual or a remote type of a setting or a more infrequent or more spaced out uh, approach that maybe didn't allow for the same kind of components or interactives or um, elements in the past. So I think this is a great question because it's probably something a lot of people are going through right now. Um, and in general, I would say, uh, you mentioned spicy. I would say many L and D departments are trying to make their content mas caliente. See, throw a little Spanish. I don't know why that hit hey. me in the head, but um, and I, I love that this is the time. If you're going to be evaluating your content anyway, and you know there's probably some shifts in the way you're going to be either delivering uh, or the modalities you're going to use, maybe you want to take on more of a blended learning approach. This is a great time to really almost blow it up and rebuild um, and, and really kind of start from the ground up and say, what can we do? Not what have we done in the past? Um, which is always, I, I feel like is often where a lot of teams uh, get stuck in the mud is like, well, we've always done it this way. And it'd be a lot of work to change it. Well, man, if you're going to start and rechain, you know, reshift uh, or reculture a lot of your content anyway, like go big. That's my, my two cents there. So with that in mind, um, we've probably all been in, in an ILT. So I think you framed it right that we, uh, especially content that lasts multiple hours or full days or even multiple days, 
Um, and we've probably been in one where somebody's got a PowerPoint deck and they read every slide to you and they really drive home those bullet points. Uh, and maybe you get to do a role play or maybe you get to do a poll. Um, but that might not always bring you a tremendous amount of interaction to keep you going or keep you engaged. So let's assume the worst case scenario there that you have one of those just, I'm going to read a PowerPoint deck presentations and that's how we're losing people. What are all the ways you could really shift that pendulum to the other side? And I think this is, I, I don't know that we did this intentionally as we were writing optional case studies of clients we have, but you're going to sense a theme. How do you take the room, virtual or in, in classroom, and gamify it? How do you get users to get involved, to stay engaged through activity? And when I'm looking at this, I, I have one sort of favorite to the point where I have a poster still of when we ran it. Uh, and maybe we'll share that on social media as like a little throwback Thursday or Tuesday or maybe. I don't know if those are still a thing. Uh, they were for a while there. Um, but we had, it was called Road Rally. And the whole point was we have, we're going to do a conversation around labor management, um, which is admittedly not the sexiest of topics when you're, when you're looking at a classroom. And how did we gamify and bump it up? And uh, realistically, it was starting from like, well, let's start with how do we get them engaged or excited about the content in the first minute they're there. And what we did is we let them build a car. Uh, and it was all choice. They could pick colors. They could pick accessories. They could pick body styles. Um, and they got to build basically like a little Hot Wheels car digitally uh, on their phone um, in teams. So the teams voted on which color palettes they like and which accessories and all of that. Uh, and then they had they had that as their starting point. And all of a sudden, you've got your game piece. We've all played Monopoly or whatever, and you get to pick the top hat or the Scotty dog or whatever. Um, and you have your favorite. And the same kind of notion was here. We let them pick something that they were excited about. And then they went into content. The content was designed not in bullet format, not in slide format, very picture oriented, so that even the speaker couldn't uh, just read because we all could have just been handed the deck. And this way, they actually had to dialogue. They had to go through. Um, after that, we built in customer scenarios where they actually had to problem solve. Think more escape room type of uh, problem solving. They were given a series of reports and charts with a, a statement of uh, need, and they were expected to come up with a solution. The great part is everyone was doing the same activity, but had very few bounds other than that initial statement. And they came back with wildly different solutions that then they could dialogue and talk through like the pros, the cons, they could ask each other questions. And now you have the audience doing almost a reverse or a flipped classroom where they're teaching back and dialoguing where the facilitator is really just facilitating conversation. That was another great way to do uh, some differences in the classroom to build some energy. And then lastly, we took that same environment. We'd gone through all these scenarios. The facilitators are given information on what labor management and scheduling was like, how to utilize new systems. And we put them into a pub style trivia game where the teams competed together and how quickly you answered based on how accurate your team was, uh, indicated how well your car raced. And then they ran heats throughout the end of the classroom. And we had people jumping up and down and screaming in a classroom, cheering on their cars in a digital world. world. Um, and it was amazing. It, it really was a difference maker in a classroom that I think you don't see a lot of the time that, uh, uh, I won't say there weren't side bets also happening in certain tables where people were betting on their cars to see whose team was doing better. But literally, we had uh, some energy and excitement that I rarely see in a classroom. I think it's one of the best case studies we've ever put on um, for really rethinking your content, delivering on something that was a differentiated experience and had a lot of energy. 
And I know that was long-winded, but man, like I get really excited and pumped on that particular one uh, just because it was a lot of fun to do and to put on. Yeah, Scott, I mean, we, uh, we you and I, when we're speaking about that specific uh, incident, um, situation and project, we, we both had the opportunity to be in that room and, and uh, it was an energetic room. And, and like, like we said, labor management and scheduling effectiveness, not, uh, not a riveting uh, topic, but um, the excitement we could bring. And I guess the moral of that story um, and that case necessarily is, you know, just because content is dry or information is dry or could be dry, doesn't mean um, you can't rethink and gamify it and, and allow people to compete and, and take their mind off the fact that it's just boring old uh, breakout related content to their role. Um, and there's just so many things you can do. And, and you don't have to stop it at what Scott just mentioned. Um, there's so many other scenarios where if you really start by, by not only you know, thinking outside the box and saying, okay, how can we get people excited about what we're about to do? Um, I, I think the world's your oyster and things, situations like that. And um, like I said, that's not the only kind of creative custom solution we've provided, but it's definitely probably one of my favorite, I think. Yeah. And I think the best part about that particular client and that particular experience that you were talking about is they recognize their content was a little dry and it was, it was important to what their business is and how they progressed and, and their efficiency and effectiveness. But that was sort of their starting point is like, we know we could lose people really easily. How do we bump this up? How do we take it to a level that is a bit more energy driven and just different so that we can get people excited about the topic or at least excited to be in the room and then they'll absorb the information when they get there. And we've had a number of clients that start with that premise. Like we know this is compliance stuff. We know this is stuff that maybe is dry. It's the onboarding HR stuff. But if you start with that frame of reference and then say, look, we're going to make it exciting. Not I have to, but I want to for the, for the user, the learner. It's a little bit of that self-awareness. I think goes a long way in making sure you're delivering that great experience to your learners. Daniel, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of liked this concept. It was, it was fun to kind of go down memory lane and think about some of the projects we've had a little bit and, and do sort of a case study environment uh, as a, just a different approach to some of our conversations today. Uh, I, I'm getting some warm and fuzzy feelings from some of the, the nostalgia of the things we've worked on, but I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, me as well. I think um, we, we talk in theory and, and, uh, you know, philosophically so frequently um, about different topics. And obviously last month was inclusivity and, and other things. And I think this was a nice, um, it was a bit more tactical. Um, and, you know, our, our team at Haylight overall is, is pretty uh, knowledgeable and, and um, we've had some of them on the podcast and, and they really understand the, the methodology behind L and D and training, but um, we're also very creative and love to get a little tactical. So today was fun to dive into some tactics and, and um, you know, not the 30,000 foot view and get down in the, in the dirt and, and bring up some, the ways we've achieved some success. So that was a lot of fun. And I'd be remiss. I mean, honestly, like obviously, hopefully from this uh, episode, you get the sense that we enjoy talking about this stuff. So if at any point you are ever interested in seeing some of the work that we've done, we are always sh proud to show off our babies uh, and, and talk about uh, the things we've done. So uh, always feel free to reach out and we will set up time to walk you through some of the experiences or maybe you're getting questions uh, that 
pertain in a similar ways to some of our case studies, we're happy to to talk those through with you. Please don't hesitate to reach out uh, via social media or email or wh- however you might want to choose to get in touch with us. But um, again, we could talk about this stuff for days. So demoing and showing off some of the work we get to do and then we're very proud of the, the work and the teams that we have at Halite. Um, so happy to do that with you. But we want to wrap up the show today like we do every time. A little positivity, a little energy and an excitement. I'm already feeling more energetic from our conversation today and our podcast. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, but let's get the audience uh, something else to think about. Mine's a little weird uh, today because uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, I am excited that my kids are going back to school. And that is mixed with so many reasons. Um, number one it will be quieter in my house and I'll feel a bit more productive, not uh, constantly having banging doors and uh, screaming children and trying to figure out lunches and everything else. Like they're going to go back. Number two, they need it. Uh, They need some structure. They need some rigor. My kids, like all kids, I think like a little bit of that in their lives, uh, even though they might fight it often. Um, I think they're looking forward to getting back, seeing their friends. uh, While they won't admit they like their teachers, I think they're even, they were pretty excited. We went to an open house last night. So I think they're ready for that. Um, and realistically, like I being stay at home parents for all of those that went through it over the course of the last year, uh, I think we're all ready and super appreciative for all the teachers out there that are making this possible. Um, but we realize we are not in the teaching profession, uh, particularly for elementary age uh, students. Uh, and while trying to do that with a day job. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that those that are much more qualified than me to be teaching uh, my children math and English and science on a regular basis, day to day, will have that and uh, will make it a much more, uh, more positive experience for them. Um, but yes, my kids are going back to school tomorrow. Very excited about what that means for the entire family. Probably a much less stress in, in the house. <laughs> Oh, Scott, that's great to hear. Um, I'm sure, listen, at the end of the day, they, I'm sure they're going to enjoy it themselves and, and be back around their friends more frequently. So um, big win for everyone. Um, my positivity point today, I, I know that you, everybody here is no uh, secret that I like soccer. I'm a big, big fan. Obviously, I coach. So You don't um, say. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, our women's soccer team at the Olympics beat the USA um, on uh, Monday morning, which is a big, a big day um, for us. Obviously, they're rivals, and in the in the sense of of rivalry, um, you know, Canada hasn't beat them in twenty years. So, but it's always competitive. Obviously, Canada versus the US, and we're not. It's similar to the hockey rivalry. The women's soccer rivalry is pretty intense when they play each other. Um, so that was a great moment. But uh, my positivity point is tomorrow night they're playing for gold. And uh, they're playing Sweden for gold. And um, it's going to be an exciting game. I'm looking forward to it. It was at 10 p.m., but I think uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. But I think they're moving the game because uh, the, the um, forecast says it's going to be 114 degrees uh, at kickoff at 11 a.m., um, and, uh, I heard this morning that I saw a news report that when the, when Tokyo applied for the Olympics, they, they ruled that the heat wouldn't be an issue. That's not what their climate is at this time of year. So should be funny. So I think the game is going to move time, uh, which means I'm probably gonna have to stay up really late or wake up really early. Uh, like I did Monday morning for the 4am, but I'm really excited for the game. Um, I'm big on culture and all that stuff. And they've been talking about changing the color of their Olympic medal, which has been bronze the past two two Olympics. So it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. 
that's I, look. While I'm I'm a little sad that uh, it was the U.S. that got beat. I'm, I'm I do love a good rivalry, and it's nice when both teams have a chance to really be competitive. Um, and one of the things that I, there are two things you were speaking about the heat in, in Japan this year, the strange Olympics. Like I was reading uh, or listening to somebody on the like beach volleyball, they were having to hose down the courts because yeah. the sand was so hot it was burning the athletes' feet. Like weird. I don't think of Japan as being that hot typically. I mean, I, I'm not by any means an expert on the climatology or geography of Japan in general and seasonalities. But, um, and the other one, I don't know if you've watched uh, side positivity point for me, the 400 meter hurdles, uh, the last couple nights Whoa. to have both the gold medalist and silver medalist and both the men's and women's break the world record, like to get silver and break the world record and still lose is insane. Um, like I, I, again, I don't pretend to be a track aficionado, but like it is so cool to watch um, athletes going out doing things as well as that anyone has ever done them, and have two super competitive races. Uh, so congratulations to those athletes as well. Like I, in general, I'm loving the Olympics. It's a little weird when the time zones are so off, uh, where mm-hmm. I know some of the results mm-hmm. in the morning before I get to watch them at night. But you still get some live stuff at night too, which has been super fun. So uh, I love the Olympics. I've watched some stuff. My kids have experienced water polo and uh, some other uh, biathlons and triathlons and archery and some things they've never typically watched. Uh, but a lot of fun and energy around watching uh, these incredibly talented people do things that blow my mind. Just a quick comment on the men's 400 meter hurdles. That was, I have a, I have a friend over there who, who's on the coaching staff for the track and field team um, for, for Canada. And he was there um, because one of the athletes he trains and he like tweeted about it and everything, but that was, I'm not a track and field guy either, but the fact that he got caught up to and then just managed to clear out another 10 yard space and, and beat his own world record by a full second. Like that's a long, I, I, I was stunned, like stunned. Well, and the women beating theirs by a full half second. I mean, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it wasn't like it was just they got in a little early. They, they crushed the the world record, which is just incredible and amazing. Um, and I love the camaraderie. I also love just watching these athletes that compete so intensely. And as soon as the game, the race is over, they're hugging and they're congratulating. There, there generally seems to be a camaraderie there that it, while they can be competitors in the moment, um, they, they generally seem to actually also appreciate each other's talents. So uh, that's super cool. I, I also loved the uh, the high jump. Don't know if you saw that one, but the guys choosing to share the gold medal mm-hmm. um, as a, uh, as friends. Like I thought that was a really cool moment. I, I love what the Olympics often brings. I know there can be um, some turmoil around just in general, some of the things that go into like the infrastructure and the logistics of it, but the athleticism is amazing. So uh, lots of positivity points on that today. I agree. All right. That will do it for us today. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.